and welcome back to the National Treasure Hunt podcast, where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And today's episode is going to be one for the books, people, because one of the biggest movie franchises that constantly gets compared to National Treasure, or I guess I should say National Treasure gets compared to it, is the subject of our conversation today. Emily, what is that film franchise? It is the Indiana Jones film franchise. Yes, and hopefully today, Emily, we can answer once and for all is the comparison between these two franchises a valid comparison to make? What are the main differences? What are the similarities? And um, can we can we crown National Treasure a victor against the Indiana Jones film franchise? Emily's giving me such a face. And it'll be one of those things that not everyone might agree with the answer to that question. We don't know what the answer to that question is going to be yet because we haven't recorded this yet. <laughs> but hopefully our conversation throughout the episode will uh, lead us to an answer. Yeah, Em? I mean, I think I have one pretty well prepared. So oh, I'm excited. Okay, this is, this is going to be good. And I can't wait to clue you all in on some conversations Emily and I have had via text message over the past couple of weeks as we were preparing this episode. They've been quite literally gold, which is very appropriate for a treasure hunt film. Gold, get it? Ha ha. True. Funny. Um, but before we get started, we actually have a new mini segment of National Treasure Hunt that we would like to debut right here on today's episode. And this is something we hope to do on a recurring basis, and uh, we hope you enjoy it. This new mini segment will be called Screams from Parkington Lane, and I've got to give credit where credit is due. I am borrowing this idea from a podcast that I listen to regularly called the Game of Roses podcast, and the segment in their show that I'm referencing here is their Screams from the Pit segment. Now let me explain really quickly what this is. On Game of Roses, their fantastic co-hosts are really entrenched in the Bachelor and Bachelorette television franchises. And they argue that they are so far into the pit of this franchise that it pops up in their daily life constantly in the most unexpected ways. And I don't know about you, Emily, but I can relate to that feeling when it comes to National Treasure. Oh, for sure. I mean, there are in, literally during my work, which has nothing to do with this film, has nothing to do with treasures or puzzles or anything like that. Somehow it always pops up. And so we are going to be replicating that concept here on our show. This is Screams from Parkington Lane. So, Emily, I do have a scream this week that I'm excited to share with you. Do tell. Okay, so... I have a colleague who knows about our show and knows how much I love National Treasure. And so this colleague of mine this week in a work context tried quoting National Treasure at me. Seems pretty benign, right? I don't know. You said tried. I'm really glad you picked up on that because they misquoted it. And it happens to be a quote that I feel very strongly about. Do you happen to know which one now that I've said that? 
you know, there are a few that I can think of because I'm the quotes person. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I'm, you're going to have to tell me. So it's somebody's got to go to prison, Ben. Oh, uh, wait, was, how did they mess that up? I don't. I don't even fully remember. It just, it wasn't quite right. And I was a terrible person. I corrected them and I didn't even do it terribly jokingly. I just kind of said it correctly and I feel bad about it, but it just happened. And I like, just like said it without thinking. Um, and I just don't want this to become my life. Is this your version of an apology? This could be my version of an apology if this colleague is listening to the show right now. <laughs> <laughs> I will get better at just appreciating when people reference my vast love for the franchise. And that is my scream from Parkington Lane and our inaugural scream at that. Yeah. Wow, Aubrey, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And speaking of sharing, I think that we have possibly some stuff that we might want to share with our listeners, including these podcast episodes. So guys, you're going to go ahead and you're going to want to find us on Spotify, Apple, be a little hipster, go on the SoundCloud. We are a national treasure hunt. And you can go ahead and find us on both Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. That is at NT Hunt Podcast, guys. Go ahead, like us, rate us, review us, subscribe to us, comment on what we say, do all the things, interact with us. We'd love to hear from you, especially about this episode that is coming out. I'll be really excited to hear what you guys think about um this analysis that I have coming for you. Yeah. So without further ado, this is really Emily's show here today. I am the, um, the, I'm the Riley in today's relationship, Emily, you are, you are the Ben Gates. And so I'm really excited for us to compare and contrast national treasure and Indiana Jones. Where would you like us to start? Well, first, why don't we start with just, like, what Indiana Jones is? Yeah, I mean, I know this might be hard for some people to believe, but not everyone has seen these movies. They're classics, so everyone knows they exist and has probably referenced them, even if they haven't seen them before. But there's actually multiple films in this franchise, so what what should we know? Okay, well... First of all, we're going to start with the main character, okay? These movies feature a guy named Dr. Henry Walton, Indiana Jones Jr. He is a fictional professor of archaeology, and he is played by none other than Harrison Ford, which you might know from Star Wars and stuff like that, or maybe you know him from this franchise. Never know. This dude has a doctorate in archaeology and is also a professor, so... Take that as you will. We'll be debating the uh, credentials of his doctorate in archaeology a little further along in the episode. Now, guys, there are four main movies that have been released in this franchise that feature Indiana Jones himself. So the first one is Raiders of the Lost Ark. This came out in 1981, and this movie was all about finding the Ark of the Covenant. 
Okay, that was the big treasure of the film. And I'm going to be straight up with you guys. This is the one that I watched in preparation for this episode. So a lot of the comparisons that you guys are going to hear coming from us are going to be from Raiders of the Lost Ark specifically. Now, in addition, there are also some other movies. So Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, that was released in 1984. Now, interestingly enough, this is actually noted to be a prequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark. So arguably, I should have watched this one instead of Raiders of the Lost Ark <laughs> if I wanted to be like properly introduced to the characters instead of just kind of flung in, which is how I felt um, when I started watching these films. Um, and so in the Temple of Doom, basically, we're looking for the Holy Sankara Stones. They're going to be used to take over the world. We got to get them, guys. So that's that's the main focus of that movie. Then we have Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Note that I said there are four movies. This is the third of the fourth, and this is called The Last Crusade. So take that as you will. <laughs> now, this book came out in 1989. And, guys, this is the one that has Sean Connery in it. If you don't know who Sean Connery is, he played James Bond. I was going to say Batman. Very um, different characters, to my knowledge. <laughs> He played James Bond, and guys, the whole point of this movie, aside from, like, the father-son dynamic that was going on with his disappeared father, is finding the Holy Grail. And then we have, after the Last Crusade, we have Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Now, guys, this came out in 2008, so this is 19 years after the last one came out. I've looked at the promotional photos for this. Harrison Ford still looks like relatively young, even though we know at this point he is not. I would also like to point out 19 years later is when the fourth film came out in this franchise. So we still have plenty of time and hope for National Treasure 3. Oh, yes, completely. Yes, 100% agree. Guys, so this is the one, if you didn't know, that is like kind of like up in the air as to like how much people like it. Um, this is the one with the, the, the crystal skull, really. They're, they're looking for this crystal skull. But I think one of the main plot points that I found really interesting is that this is the one where they bring back his love interest from the first movie and her son, who's played by Shia LaBeouf. What? What? Yeah. What? <laughs> but also Boo, because Shia LaBeouf, we know, now know, is kind of problematic. This is true. <laughs> Although apparently his real, so his name, I want to point out because we've been on a bit of a shit's creep binge lately, just in our own personal lives. His name is Mutt. Um, what? Yeah, so that happened. But apparently his real name is Henry Jones III. So, like, in case you didn't get that from the beginning, he's like named after Indiana Jones. Oh. And then, guys, you know. Even more interesting, there is this fifth film that they're talking about putting out that, once again, will star Harrison Ford that is supposed to come out in 2022. Now, from my understanding from reading about this bit, this is kind of similar to National Treasure 3 and that it's been being talked about for a while and things keep changing with the staff and the production and who's writing the story and who's going to be in it. And it's all up in the air right now, but people think that it's going to come out in 2022. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see, and maybe we can have an updated episode 
where, you know, in a couple of years where we talk about the new Indiana Jones movie and how it relates to National Treasure, maybe they'll pick some things up. So, guys, that's the little introduction into the Indiana Jones franchise for you. Now, Aubrey, I want you to take a moment and tell us a little bit about what you learned about the franchise. Yeah, so I'm obviously very explicitly looking at this from the lens of of National Treasure and also from the lens of all of the past friends and, I don't know, maybe foes who have tried to complain at me in the past and say that National Treasure is so inferior to the Indiana Jones franchise. And if you if you do some digging, a lot of critics compare the two by saying, oh, Indiana Jones has had this four, maybe five soon-ish movie run. There are theme park rides going along with Indiana Jones. There's tons of merchandising. There was a TV series about young Indiana Jones, etc. And then they say, well, what does National Treasure have? Two movies? Maybe a third one day? You know, that that's it. And because of this, they say that National Treasure hasn't attracted the same appeal or the same fan base because they, they, they just point to the lack of stuff made to go along with it as evidence of saying of as evidence of proving that Indiana Jones is better. And mm. I don't know. I actually have a counterpoint here. No um, way. I know. Shocker, right? So my counterpoint is that national treasure seems almost like a slow burn cult phenomenon, right? The the third movie is coming more than 10 years after the second, and it's been clamored for by internet communities, quite literally across social platforms and articles since National Treasure 2 came out. And there, if you search Twitter like we do often, or if you search Google like we do often, that clamoring has not died down honestly give i have an experiment for you go on twitter and search national treasure and scroll down on any given day and you will see within the first hundred tweets that pop up someone being like but where's national treasure three it it, without fail so i argue that um because the third movie will be coming eventually and you know we know now a national treasure tv series is also in the works and its meme lore pops up constantly on holidays like the fourth of july and even with current events i mean within a one week span a few weeks ago we saw declaration of independence stealing memes popping up as a result of the really unfortunate capital insurrection we saw within a week from that the president's book memes popping up during president biden's inauguration it's still everywhere so i don't know i don't think it's fair to say that the enthusiasm about national treasure has died down I, I I do think it's fair to say that Indiana Jones was always envisioned as a franchise, whereas National Treasure was not, but it became one anyway. And so that I think is um is a good place to leave my initial comments. Wow, Aubrey, some strong fighting words coming out right at the beginning here of this podcast. Now, 
guys, we're going to get into it a little bit. And let me just tell you a little about how this episode is going to go down. So what we're going to start with is the topic that we're going to be talking about. And Aubrey has been kind enough to look up some things about these movies and has some claims that were made from various sources that she's going to tell me about. And then I am going to continue on further and tell her why or why not these claims are true. So, <laughs> first we're going to start with the structure of the film. Now, Aubrey, what can you tell us about the supposed structure of these two films in comparison? Sure. Okay, so one of my sources today is a Collider article from the year 2019 written by Brendan Michael. And in this article, the author remarks upon the structural similarities between National Treasure and specifically Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, and in this article, he comments on similarities ranging from the movie's tones to the fact that both films have this vibe of, oh, we're continuing the work of our father or, you know, establishing relationship with the father figure in the storyline. Um, there's apparently a similarity in this belief in the protagonists having some calling greater than themselves. And to top it all off, Brendan Michael claims there's even the similarity of a blonde German female sidekick. And so I'm going to take the words out of your mouth immediately, Emily, and say patriarchy. But those are my comments on the structure. What can you tell me? Well, so, you know, this one's going to be a little rough because here we have Brendan Michael talking about The Last Crusade, right? And I told you at the beginning of this that in preparation for this, I, I watched Raiders of the Lost Ark. So we're going to have some slight inconsistencies here. But I've looked into both movies, and so I do have some stuff to say. I will argue that there is a structure in which Indiana Jones wants to continue the work of his father or father-like figure. In the case of... Raiders of the Lost Ark, this happens to be the father-like figure of Ravenwood, for those of you that are familiar with the movie. And then, as we heard when I was describing the movie so adeptly, way back in the beginning of the <laughs> podcast, in The Last Crusade, his father comes into the picture again, and we're talking about Indiana Jones' father. So that is there, there is that familial connection. But... In all honesty, when we're talking about Rages of the Lost Ark, it seems that Indiana Jones is less about like continuing the work of a father figure as he is about being commissioned to go get the Ark of the Covenant. Mm. And this was something that struck me right away as a huge difference between this and National Treasure. Right? In one case, Ben was really, really all about the family. And you see that in both films, right? It's not just in one of the films. It is in both of the National Treasure films. And at least in Indiana Jones, it's definitely not in the first film where mm. this father-like figure is coming into play. He's just actually being asked to go find this arc. Got it. Okay, also, there's a love interest here. So happy Emily did emerge. <laughs> um... However, Indiana Jones has a history with his love interest. So as I mentioned this character earlier, Ravenwood, Ravenwood's daughter is actually the love interest in this. And he seemingly had a falling out with Ravenwood after he broke up with his daughter. Mm. So this is a whole thing. 
they do get together at the end of the movie, but then like she's not in the next movie or two. So I'm not super clear on what happened there, but there was a love interest like there was with Abigail and Ben, but he didn't know Abigail before this, right? Abigail was seen as this kind of like nuisance, this annoyance that was coming into the picture. Even so much as Ben's adversary slash equal almost at the same time. Right. Yes. She she's like the fe- Abigail is the female version of Ben, which is, yes. I, I think, pretty different. It, it is to a certain extent, you know, and um, I'm just going to talk about it now. Um, the the depiction of the female characters in Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark is interesting. Now, as we know, this movie came out a long time ago. Right. So obviously things were different in society. The Me Too movement hadn't happened yet. There was a lot of things that, you know, structurally would have shifted the tone of this movie in regards to its treatment of women. I will argue that Marion, who is Ravenwood's daughter and Indiana Jones's love interest, does have some very competent skills that I would compare to Abigail. In the case of this movie, it tends to be more in like the fighting realm. Um, she does seem to be pretty good with some of the fight scenes that she's in and does seem kind of comparable to Indiana Jones. But a lot of the time, she's kind of relegated to the back burner, much like we see in National Treasure 2 when Ben Gates is telling Abigail that she needs to stay behind when they're in the tiny prison cell at Buckingham Palace. But that was, but the difference is that was almost a joke because he knew she was going to come with him. Exactly. He knew she was going to come with him. And so in the case of Raiders of the Lost Ark, there are instances where Marion does kind of stand up for herself and does argue that she wants to go and fight with Indiana Jones. But there are also many times where she's kind of left behind or used as bait. Or, you know, there was even one point in the movie where he had the chance to rescue her and he chose not to rescue her Mm -hmm. because he didn't want the Nazis to find out that he was present at the scene. Um, quick question. Where did Nazis come from? Great, great question. Um, yeah, Nazis are in this movie. They're, they're the bad guys, you know. I'm so. glad to hear that, at least. Yeah, it's, yeah, you know, moving along in society. Um and so, you know, and in this scene, he's he's there, he's gone to rescue her, gone to find the, the Ark of the Covenant, and he thinks that she's dead, right? But he comes across her at this dig, archaeological dig site where they're looking for the Ark of the Covenant. And he's like, oh my gosh, you're alive, I'm so happy, he kisses her, all that kind of stuff, like, it's great, I, my heart was happy, it was awesome. But then he, like, slowly puts her gag back in her mouth and it's just kind of like actually i can't rescue you i need to leave you here because the nazis can't know that i'm here looking for the ark of the covenant they need to think that like i'm not here that i haven't come to save you so i'm gonna leave you here for now and i'll like come back for you after i've gotten the treasure which i just would like to say that ben gates would never have done He'll only do that if the person he's sacrificing is Mitch Wilkinson. <laughs> True. <laughs> he sacrificed Mitch Wilkinson when what was the enemy? 
the water. The water, the water was the enemy the whole time. So speaking of some structural things, guys, I have to say that, you know, we talked about water being the villain the entire time in National Treasure 2. I think that either jet fuel or lighter fluid could potentially be the villain the whole time in this Indiana Jones movie, at least in Raiders of the Lost Ark. There are multiple times when jet fuel is used in these film or in this film. There is one point when Indiana Jones falls down into a pit of snakes when he is in the tomb to get the lost Ark of the Covenant. And in order to get the snakes away from him, he uses his torch, which, yes, Aubrey, there were torches because there are always torches during a treasure hunt. It's true. As I love to point out in National Treasure, except for not in, torches. Except for not in Book of Secrets where there are flashlights. Yeah, but if you'll remember, I complained about that. You did. I will give you that. Thank you. So he uses his torch to get the snakes away, but he also brings down some, uh, like, lighter fluid or something, something that catches fire, something that's flammable. And he sprays it all over the snakes, and then, you know, they get caught on fire, and they, like, back away from him. So, yeah, it's, it, it happens. And then there's, you know, one of many fight scenes that, that happen in the movie, because there were, oh, so many... Um, there's a helicopter and Indiana Jones is trying to kind of like take the helicopter over and in an effort to get everyone else away from the helicopter, he uses some of the helicopter fuel to kind of like light a fire in the area. So, you know, I think there is an argument to be had for this jet fuel lighter fluid nonsense being the villain the entire time. Or maybe it's just fire. Or maybe it's fire. That would be a more logical argument. Way to go, Aubrey. Now, guys, I have one last point when we're talking about the structure of these movies. And this is, you know, a little broader when we're talking about structure, but I think it's still important to note. There was a point when I was watching Raiders of the Lost Ark where I realized these movies are all about Indiana Jones. Mm. Which is fair, Right? The movie, all the movies start with Indiana Jones and, and then it's, continues. It's like, he's, he's like Harry Potter, right? Harry Potter yes. and, yeah, I got you. Exactly. And, you know, this really came to me when I realized that in the middle of this whole treasure hunt that he was going on, someone was trying to poison him. Specifically poison him. Not like, get the treasure instead of him but they were actually trying to take him out, right? And this is very different from what we see in National Treasure because not only do we not see anybody really trying to take Ben Gates out, I mean, you could argue that Sean Bean in the first movie when he tried to, like, blow up the ship that Ben was on with Riley in the Arctic Tundra that was trying to take him out, but... But, I mean, that was kind of an accident. That wasn't even intended, so I think you're onto something here. Yeah, so, you know, it really it really just seems like these movies are all about Indiana Jones. And when you think about the National Treasure movies, you know, there's a reason they're called National Treasure, National Treasure and the Book of Secrets. It's because the, the focus of the film really is the treasure right. itself, right? It's not Ben. I would argue that maybe a third of the focus 
in the movie is on Ben and like his familial connections to all of this stuff. But like two thirds of the movie is fully focused on the treasure. And I cannot say that it's the same for Raiders of the Lost Ark when it comes to Indiana Jones versus the Ark of the Covenant. Got it. So I just thought that was really interesting and something to, you know, note when we're trying to compare these two movies, possibly a reason that they might not be super comparable with one another. I'm just Mm. throwing it out there. Now, the next area that we're going to talk about here is our intended audience. So, you know, it's well known here on the podcast and in the community as all, the National Treasure is a Disney movie. Mm-hmm. However, I'd like to point out that Indiana Jones did did not start out as being a Disney film. The Indiana Jones intellectual property was acquired by Disney in 2012. So it's likely, right, that these movies have different intended audiences. Now, Aubrey, what can you tell me about this? Yeah, so back in that Collider article that I was referencing, the author argues that National Treasure actively comes off as kid-oriented, whereas Indiana Jones is very adult-oriented. And therefore, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of making a jump here in that Disney's acquisition of the Indiana Jones IP was probably less about the intended audience and more about money. and the fact that Indiana Jones is super popular and will make them money. But in any case, the the Collider article even references the fact that National Treasure, at least the first film, opens with a conversation between a child and his grandfather, you know, learning about basically being a knight. It's almost the equivalent of a princess story in a Mm -hmm. sense, right? So, which is very Disney. And even in the second National Treasure movie, which opens in a much more violent way, there's still a child involved. There is. You know? That really good child actor didn't have to be the case whereas on the on the other hand Raiders of the Lost Ark quickly references Hitler so we're on a very different playing field here this is this is very true and I would like to say that in relation to this something that I know that Aubrey and I were having a conversation about uh in the past few weeks was the difference in the level of kind of gore that's in these movies in in Indiana Jones, you actively see characters die. Could I tell you the names of these characters? No. But <laughs> people are dying in these films. Yeah, you're totally right. And this is in major contrast to National Treasure, where I'm pretty sure across both of these films, the only person we witness die in the present day storyline is... Ian Howe's henchman named Shaw in the first movie when he's falling into the pit beneath Trinity Church. We know Mitch Wilkinson dies in the second movie, but we don't see it happen. It's kind of just implied. And we've even talked before, Emily, almost jokingly, but it is fact that they adjusted the plot line of Book of Secrets so that we don't see Ben's dad get stabbed. We we joke because maybe it's that would be too much gore, but... I mean, maybe it's not a joke. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, maybe it's not. Because as I mentioned, you know, in that previous episode, there was blood in in that scene when they originally shot it. And one of the things that I was texting you about, Aubrey, 
was this scene towards the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark where we see this guy basically get decapitated by helicopter blades. Now, I will note that the camera pans away from him when he actually gets decapitated and you just see a splurt of blood on the helicopter itself so you don't actually see the decapitation happen but it's very clear from the leading in shot and then Mm -hmm. from the blood itself that that is what happened Mm -hmm. so we do have this element of gore and this element of you know death actually being a thing that's occurring with that being said though i still have an argument to make for the fact that i don't know that indiana jones is necessarily more adult-oriented than kid-oriented. Now, I don't know if this is a timing thing, so the fact that this movie was made, that Raiders of the Lost Ark was made a lot earlier than National Treasure, but Raiders of the Lost Ark just feels very campy Mm. in and of itself. And somehow, the stuff in National Treasure seems more realistic than what happens in Indiana Jones. And this is not just because of the magical element of things, which we'll get to in a minute, but it just seems like all of the events that are happening in National Treasure, right, possibly because they're based in history, have a more tangential pull in this film than you get in Raiders of the Lost Ark, where everything's just kind of like, oh, here's Indiana Jones going on this treasure hunt, and he's going to find this thing and that thing, and then there's going to be a fist fight. And then, like, during the fight scenes, there's always, like, the one guy that kind of, like, gets, like, knocked over, and it's kind of silly. And, you know, the music, which I'll talk about in a bit, also kind of plays into this. Do you feel like Indiana Jones is taking place in a more fictional world than National Treasure is? Almost certainly. Okay. And I think that says it all, honestly. Yeah. So moving on from that point, guys, we're going to we're gonna switch on over to characters here. Now, obviously, we're going to be talking about the main characters, right? We got Indiana Jones. We got Ben Gates here. So, Aubrey, what can you tell us about Indiana Jones versus Ben Gates to start? Yeah, so my understanding of Indiana Jones is that he is much more of a skeptic when it comes to these treasure hunts, at least in comparison to Ben Gates, who is 100% gung-ho, believing the treasure. And not just the fact that the treasures exist, but he believes entirely in his ability to find those treasures. So... I don't know. I would argue personally that you kind of need a character like Ben Gates to help more reluctant viewers believe in these stories that are ultimately across the board, whether National Treasure or Indiana Jones, pretty fantastical stories. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like you want to believe in the hero's ability to believe in himself. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, maybe it's, it's better to put it this way. I don't think anyone is going to watch National Treasure and root for Ben to fail. And I'm not saying that people want Indiana Jones to fail, but I am saying that his likability might not be 100% equivalent to Ben's. And mm. I know not everyone's going to agree with me, but that's my feeling. Well, you know what, Aubrey? The important thing is that I agree with you. <laughs> I, your co-host, agrees with you. So, yeah, there is something, and I'm glad that you put it that way, because there is something that's very unlikable (laughs) 
about Indiana Jones, right? And it's not just the way that he is towards women, and it's not just, you know, his cockiness, which he has to a great degree. He is very, very cocky. Ben, I feel like, has a healthy ego, right? Like, he knows that he's smart. He knows that he knows stuff. But he also, we see him in both movies defer to Riley at a certain mm-hmm. point and also know when to go and ask for help. Indiana Jones just seems like very much like, you're going to say this thing, I'm going to know exactly what it is, we're cool. And, you know, I couldn't quite place why he seemed somewhat unlikable to me. And I think it is that he has this air about him that is not that he doesn't believe in his ability to find the treasures because he definitely believes in his ability to find the treasures but he just seems like you said more skeptical about the whole thing and there's this kind of more kind of a darker uh tone that his character takes throughout the film rather than being all excited to go find the treasure it almost feels as if he's kind of like yeah, you know, I'm going to go find the treasure because it's what I do. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ben just seems like super thrilled to go find this treasure. He's so excited. And there will be people that will disagree with that. And that is okay. Would you say that there's a difference in the level of passion and interest? So I want to say that there is, but I also am thinking back to a scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark where I know that Indiana Jones did display a great deal of passion and interest in this archaeological find when he was going to find the Ark of the Covenant. But I think, and it might just be an acting choice, it might be the difference between who Harrison Ford is as a person and who Nick Cage is as a person that play into the way that these characters come across but something about the way that Harrison Ford plays Indiana Jones feels a little like he's slightly less passionate, even though his character is coming across as passionate or supposed to be coming across as passionate. Okay, that makes sense. Um, Now, another thing that you mentioned, Emily, is that Indiana Jones has a PhD in archaeology. I can't help but think about, well, Ben isn't uh, a PhD, but he does have quite the educational lineage. He does. And, you know, one of the things that you so aptly pointed out, Aubrey, in our first season, especially, was the way that they they built up Ben Gates's credentials mm-hmm. in order to fit within the con the confines of the movie. Right. It made sense that he knew how to scuba dive and it made sense that he knew all the things that he knew because it fit with what his character needed to do. Now, I would almost argue that Indiana Jones's experience isn't utilized all that well. It almost to me feels like he just kind of knows things, which you could argue by default, having a Ph.D. in archaeology, right, means that you just know things, right? People come to him basically with a list of things and he just knows what these, what the words on the list mean. And that could be a result of him having his PhD in archeology, span but you don't see the connections come across as strongly as you do with Ben Gates's character. And that might be because I had your keen eyes on the first movie when you were really pointing out all of the parts in which Ben's character really matched up with what they said that he had experience in. But it was just something that I thought was worthy of noting. Now, I say all of this, but 
in my personal opinion, it doesn't seem like Indiana Jones should really be able to have a PhD in archaeology when he is quite frankly running around seemingly willingly destroying some major archaeological finds in the hopes of getting to the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, so when he's in this tomb going for the Ark, there are snakes, Marion gets in the tomb somehow, he's gotta, like, rescue her because, you know, white knight, that's what's gotta happen. (laughs) And at a certain point, he's on this rope, and he's swinging between these large statues, which are in the tomb itself. And it feels like, you know, if one of the characters from National Treasure, I'm thinking specifically since we've been talking so much about National Treasure 2, I'm thinking of Emily and how excited she was about finding the treasure in the in National Treasure 2, right? It feels like these statues would have been something that Emily would have come across and immediately started espousing all this detail about, telling us what they meant, why they were there, and really finding them to be unique finds within themselves and wanting to preserve them. I'm just going to cut right to the chase and say that during the whole, like, save the girl scene, Indiana Jones is, like, knocking over these statues, Right, I was cringing when it was happening. It, yeah, it's it's not great. And, the, you know, what I equate this to, and it's going to seem kind of funny, but it's like me having a PhD in neuroscience, but running around and actively trying to mess up people's brains every chance I got. <laughs> right? Like, archaeology, Indiana Jones, archaeology is hard enough. We don't need to murky the waters. If stuff's in good shape, just let it be, bro. Right? We don't need to be, like, finding these things and putting them back together. If you find this statue in nice shape, let's leave it in nice shape, my man. But, you know, that's not, that's not what happens. And I just feel that that's very different than what we would see Ben Gates and Co. do. Yeah, I think the only thing you can even remotely compare it to is the fact that they are in the first film, stealing the Declaration of Independence, right? But even, because you could look at that, and we did. We talked to the National Archives scientists, and they told us about how, you know, that's a cringe moment for them. But even so, if you're just watching National Treasure 1, and you watch the heist scene, and you are not an expert in historical document conservation, you leave that with the impression that, Ben and co are truly respecting the declaration. They're doing everything that it looks like, or it seems like they should be doing to protect the document in this precarious situation. Right there. We, we know, we know now that wearing gloves is a bad thing, but the the general population is going to look at that and be like, Oh, they're being careful. Right. Mm-hmm. Or they, they put it in this, this, you know, tube instead of just like carrying it around like Ian Howe would have done, et cetera. So they're trying, you know, they have a whole station set up in Ben's apartment to be able to uh, look at the declaration under this controlled environment system. So, so yeah, even though they do put something in danger, it's very clear that that's not what they're, that that's not something they're eager to do is put it in danger in the first place. Yeah, that's a great point, Aubrey. And speaking of putting things in danger, Let's move along to the thing that puts everyone in danger in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and that is the Lost Ark itself and the seemingly supernatural powers that it has. 
Aubrey, can you tell us a little bit more about what you found between the comparison between Indiana Jones and National Treasure in this sense? Yeah, so I have some strong feelings here. So I'm going to relay what the author of the Collider article mentioned first, and then I'm going to give my opinion on it because this is our show and we can do whatever we want. And I feel very strongly about it. So in the 2019 Collider article, author Brendan Michael comments on the fact that Indiana Jones subtly incorporates this supernatural mystique, whereas National Treasure is rooted in American history. And Brendan Michael claims that rooting National Treasure in American history is boring, and having the supernatural element in Indiana Jones inherently makes it superior. And I have got to say, I literally could not disagree more with this statement. And I'm going to keep my rationale and my explanation brief because not everyone's going to agree with this, but I feel very strongly about it. Personally, I find the use of a supernatural explanation, especially in stories that are grounded in the real world, like Earth, like real planet that we live on, (laughs) to be just extremely lazy. I'm, I'm personally, and again, personal opinion, I'm much more impressed by the ability to use real history to link plot points together and get from point A to point Z throughout a film based in reality. And yes, of course there are crazy jumps in logic that we've discussed many times on this show before in National Treasure, but there's always a rationale that is based in the real world. It's not like, oh, the the aliens put Cibola under Mount Rushmore or even something subtle. There's never a subtle supernatural anything. So, so that's my personal rant about this. And I do also want to mention another article, a 2017 junkie article written by Adam fleet. Um, this, this author I think is a bit more in agreement with me. Um, he claims that national treasure is really all of the fun and the adventure that kingdom of the crystal skull was lacking. And that was trying to be, Um, And so in this article, Fleet even commented on the overall soundstage feeling nature of Indiana Jones compared to the added effect that on-location filming consistently has in National Treasure. So I know that's a little different from the supernatural, but I just had to throw in there whenever I could the fact that I think someone agrees with me out there in the world. So end rant. (laughs) No, thank you, Aubrey. That was good. And I do have to say that I, I have a little less of a strong opinion on the supernatural versus the history explanations of things just in general, uh, because a lot of the stuff that I do tend to watch and, you know, immerse myself in does happen to have some of these supernatural elements to them. Sure. And I know that that's the case for you, but would you agree that including a supernatural element does not inherently make Indiana Jones superior to national treasure. I would agree with that statement, yes. And I okay. think that this is, you know, especially true. You know, the the mystical stuff is, it, it's a big feature in Indiana Jones, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? That's, honestly, it's the whole point of the Ark of the Covenant. It, the... The Nazis in the beginning of the film, it's explained that they want the Ark of the Covenant because they think that they can become invincible because of some stuff that was said in the Bible. Right. So you could argue that this is a historical thing, 
because there are people that believe that the Bible is history. And without going into that whole thing, I just wanted to point that out. But, you know, the big scene for me, and I think I was texting you, Aubrey, while I was watching this, where I realized just how supernatural this entire kind of the premise of this entire film was, was when the Ark of the Covenant was being opened by the Nazis. And, you know, during this scene, they have Indiana Jones and Marion tied up in a pole, like way up on this hill. They're conveniently far enough away from <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant that like no harm ends up coming to them. But you see that as they remove the lid from this Ark of the Covenant, everything seems fine. And then all of a sudden we have all of these kind of ghost-like spirits start coming out of the Ark itself. There's this big storm that happens. All of this mystical energy starts coming out. Indiana Jones has to scream to Marion that they both need to close their eyes. Yo, we got Bird Box up in there for a minute. Um, <laughs> everybody, you know, they had their eyes closed. They couldn't look directly at it. And the problem that all of the Nazis fortunately, I would say, we're having was that they were looking directly at it and their faces then burnt off. Wow. So this is solar eclipse on steroids. It is indeed. And, you know, we could also tie this back to that gore that we were talking about earlier. Wow. Do they really show these Nazis faces being burnt off? It is. It is something. But this whole thing was kind of the climax of the film, right? Like when they opened the Ark of the Covenant and you know, that in itself, whether or not the Ark exists is something that can be argued historically. But the things that came out of the Ark, I feel like definitely have the supernatural element to them that is seems to be very key of the Indiana Jones film franchise. Got it. And that's super different. But so you mentioned, and I, I remember this conversation when we were texting the other week, and your play-by-play -play reaction to this melt-off-the-face scene was epic. And if I can remember, I'm going to screenshot it and, and send it off into the ether <laughs> for our followers. But, um, but another thing, Emily, that we texted about a little bit was, was the music in, yes. in Indiana Jones and National Treasure. And... I don't know. We haven't talked about music too much in the in the past. We do have an episode coming up in the future talking about National Treasure music. So I know, Emily, you're not going to go into too much detail on that here. But for those of you who aren't aware, Emily is herself a musician, um, both educationally and in practice. And so she has strong feelings about this. Emily, I'm really curious because... Back in the Collider article that I keep referencing, author Brendan Michael... Uh, claims that John Williams' score for Indiana Jones is, quote, triumphant. And he feels that Trevor Rabin's score in National Treasure is, you know, fine, but not memorable. And I don't know, folks listening in, I don't know if you know this, but Emily created our intro and outro music for our podcast from scratch, but based on the National Treasure score. I know she likes the score, so I'm really curious, Em, what is your reaction to this? You know, you'd be surprised, but I have to agree. And really, I don't, you know, I have some beef with John Williams as a musician. He writes some great music, but he also steals some ideas from places. And it's, it's a thing. Um, if you want to talk more about that, please comment on things. And I will have an in-depth discussion on that with you. But you know, John Williams writes good music. 
right? He, he wrote the music for Star Wars. He wrote the music for Superman, which I love. He wrote the music, obviously, for the Indiana Jones franchise. And, you know, Trevor Rabin isn't really someone that we've heard of. I think a lot of people, even you, Aubrey, someone who isn't really into, like, soundtrack or film music itself, you know the name John Williams when you hear it. Like, it sounds familiar to you, no? And that's because he has some prestige associated with him. He's done a lot of these big movie franchises. And so I think that his music, you know, is going to get more recognition and is going to be considered more triumphant. Now, something that I would like to say, and once again, this is without getting too much into the music in National Treasure, because I do want to save that for the upcoming music episode that we have eventually. But John Williams does this thing in most of his films, but especially in Indiana Jones, where he creates this, these themes for these different sets of characters, right? So you have the Indiana Jones main theme, and then you have the theme that plays when Indiana Jones and Marion are together, and that those are very different themes of one another. Something that I know, Aubrey, that I was texting you about, which I found fascinating, having known this music before watching the film itself, is the way that John Williams takes the theme that people know so well, that da 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 and it goes on. That theme that people know so well, and he gives it to you in these little short bursts during the film, but he doesn't give it to you in its entire complexity until Indiana Jones does something that's really Indiana Jones. And I mentioned earlier when he knocked over that statue, this is actually the first time that you hear the Indiana Jones theme really in full. And up until that point, you've been hearing snippets of it, but not the entire thing. And, you know, National Treasure definitely has less of these kind of thematic score moments to it, but there isn't anything as complex in the film score where like little bits of it are shown. And I do think that some of the uh, some of the notoriety that the music for Indiana Jones gets is that people know it now. Right? So everybody that's going back and watching these films, like you already know what that theme is because it's been played so many times over in all the John Williams melodies you can find. You know, I played a piece in orchestra where we played some John Williams melodies and Indiana Jones was in there, right? So it's, you know it already, so I think it's going to get more uh, more attention. But that's, that's really all that I want to say about it without, like I said, going too much into National Treasure because, guys, it's going to be a great episode that we're going to have coming. And I want to get to the really important point of this podcast episode, which is the meat of it, the treasure hunts. Okay, this is the point that everybody likes to compare these two movies on, saying, oh, they're both treasure hunt movies, so they're super similar. Spoiler alert, they're not. Aubrey, what can you tell us? <laughs> no, I think your, your spoiler alert honestly says it all. But I think the way I've heard it put best was in Adam Fleet's article when he describes National Treasure as scavenger hunt meets heist meets history. And 
I think this is extremely well put. I couldn't, literally couldn't have defined it better myself. And it really does contrast with Indiana Jones being really at its core, strictly adventure. So that's what I think. Yeah, that's true, Aubrey. And I, you know, I'd say that the heist meets history part, I definitely, definitely relate to not personally, but <laughs> with National <laughs> Treasure itself, I, I definitely agree with that. And I do think that Indiana Jones is more strictly an adventure movie, not even just saying from the number of times that I texted you about how many chase sequences that there were. True that. You were film. you were very unhappy about that. I was. I don't like chase scenes. I was very <laughs> bored during all of the chase scenes, and there kept being another one, and I just wanted it to stop. But, you know, guys, as... I previously mentioned the movie sets Indiana Jones up well to have the expertise that is needed for this treasure hunt. However, as I mentioned before, he doesn't necessarily use the expertise super well throughout the course of the film. Now, while he's in Cairo during one part of Raiders of the Lost Ark, he actually needs to get someone's help translating the markings on the head of this staff that's really important to the plot of the movie that ultimately is going to lead him to the treasure. And now I want to note that giving Indiana Jones some credit, I guess that you could compare this to Ben needing to have his mom translate the planks from the Resolute desk, right? Sure. He needed help. He went to go get help. Indiana Jones needed some help. He went to go get help. That's fine. In the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark, people just kind of brought Indiana Jones the information that he needed about this staff and about the Ark of the Covenant. And they read him this list of words, which they seemingly didn't know what they meant, but they were all words that I recognized as English, and <laughs> frankly, and, you know, just were fairly common words that Indiana Jones happened to know the history behind. Mm -hmm. And it was through knowing the history behind these words that he was really able to kind of piece together what he needed to know in order to go find the treasure itself, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, all of the clues really were based on this one thing, right? And that's going to be the staff and the headpiece for the staff. All of the clues led to this one thing. And I say clues, and I'm using that term loosely, because once again, these people just brought him a list of words. He knew what they meant and was like, oh, obviously, yeah, we're talking about this staff, this headpiece of the staff is going to be super important. They're going to have, you know, this stuff happen. Now, the stuff that they have happened, I would argue that the big moment of kind of coolness of Indiana Jones movie is somewhat similar to a cool moment that happens in National Treasure, but I will admit not the coolest of the moments that happens in National Treasure because you have to remember that we have scenes such as I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence and I'm going to kidnap the President of the United States, right? Those are the big climactic moments in our, in our films for National Treasure. The really kind of cool moment in Raiders of the Lost Ark where everything kind of came to a head was, no pun intended, when the he gets down into this place called the Well of Souls and he lets sunlight stream through the head of this staff that he has. Now, Aubrey, this reminded me of a scene from National Treasure, as I mentioned. Can you guess what it is? Oh, is this, uh, is it like 
the ocular device? It's finding the ocular device. Oh, uh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Right. So they needed to go up to the bell tower mm-hmm. at a specific time in National Treasure. And they needed to wait for the shadow to cross the right stone. And then they knew that that stone was where they needed to go to find the aforementioned ocular device. In Indiana Jones, they needed the sunlight to stream through this headpiece of this staff in order to tell him where to find the Ark of the Covenant. Now, in the Well of Souls, there was this convenient little small miniaturized version of the the area that they were digging in, really, that had buildings and stuff like that that you could see just all in miniature. Like a model. Like a model, yes. Good good word choice, Aubrey. Yes, like a model. <laughs> and when he, you know, stuck the staff in the specific hole and got the sunlight to stream through it, the sunlight shone on part of this model that showed him the tomb that he needed to go into in order to find the Ark of the Covenant. And this, to me, watching the movie, was the really exciting part. I was like, oh, finally the clues are coming together. As I mentioned, clues, eh, loose term that we're using here. Basically, all the information that they have is coming together Mm -hmm. to tell us where they can find this treasure. And then that is where the Ark of the Covenant was, they got it, people stole it from them, they had to steal it back, people stole it from them again, you wouldn't believe how many times this thing got stolen, right? (laughs) Whereas in National Treasure, they find the ocular device, and then they use that to look at the back of the Declaration of Independence again and find another clue, Mm -hmm. right? So the treasure hunts are very, very different. I cannot emphasize enough how few clues there were. In the treasure hunt in Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. I, uh, I get it. I see what you're saying for sure. <laughs> no, no, no. Your point is well taken. Um, lack of clues is a definitely, definitely makes for a different type of treasure hunt. But nonetheless, there are definitely within these treasure hunts, I think, I think National Treasure tries to pay homage to Indiana Jones since like you mentioned so astutely Indiana Jones predates national treasure by a lot (laughs) right a lot of time a lot of history a lot of popularity so I feel like not paying homage in some way would actually be almost a cocky inappropriate move Mm -hmm. and so there are scenes I think you met you pointing out the Um, Independence Hall scene with the shadow is a great example of this, but there are definitely scenes in National Treasure that feel Indiana Jones-esque. You know, ones that I kind of call, I think I've even called in our episodes before, the Indiana Jones scenes, right? Mm -hmm. So, for example, in the first movie, when Ben walks into the antechamber before the treasure room, and we see him from behind, and it's the silhouette where he's standing in his leather jacket, and he's holding his torch. It's just, it feels very Indiana Jones, right? Mm -hmm. In in National Treasure 2, we have what might even be a stronger parallel, um, and that is a comparison to in Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's a famous scene where Indiana Jones takes a golden idol and it causes this booby trap, this giant Mm -hmm. rolling ball, right? 
well, you can you can make a very strong case for a parallel in Book of Secrets in the Black Hill underground tunnels when Riley sees a little golden man and he goes over to like look at it and that triggers a booby trap that makes all the character well, it makes the villain and our three protagonists fall onto that tilt platform that gives Emily nightmares, right? So so through these various scenes I like to think that this is a bit of homage being paid to the Indiana Jones films that came before. Yeah, definitely. And I like that you pointed that out, Aubrey, that, that you know, it was very helpful as someone who remembers less about the National Treasure films than <laughs> than, the, than the Indiana Jones film you watched 24 hours ago. <laughs> yes. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, it, that is that is very helpful, and I can see then where people would make this comparison between National Treasure and Indiana Jones. So, if you can see why people make the comparison, since you really did, quite frankly, an academic study of comp- you know comparing these franchises, I've got to ask you in your most objective perspective: is the comparison? valid and you know if so why and I guess if not why you know what are what are your thoughts there yeah I personally I think that the small comparisons are very valid Aubrey like the ones that you just pointed out okay right are you know the especially the the golden idol scene right that that's that's right from Indiana Jones that's super there but when we're talking about them as you know, treasure hunt movies as a whole. I feel like Indiana Jones is less of a treasure hunt and more of a story about a guy who has this large opposing force against him trying to find this one thing, but it's not really a hunt Mm. for the treasure. It's more like a treasure find Got it. If you will. And I feel like National Treasure itself is more of the hunt. You have to hunt for the clues. You have to solve the clues. And, you know, as I mentioned previously, there's only one really, you know, big moment where Indiana Jones really has to, like, solve a clue in order to find this treasure in Raiders of the Lost Ark. So I think that the comparison of them is ultimately... A little faulty. I, I don't think you can compare the two as treasure hunt movies as a whole. Got it. Got it. And that, that makes perfect sense. And your rationale um, is very logical to me. And so now that we've decided that you can't compare the two, I'm going to ask you which one you like better. <laughs> oh, I like National Treasure better so much more. National yeah. Treasure, like Indiana Jones was like fine by the end of it I was like this was a this was an okay movie I didn't absolutely hate it as much as I thought I was going to but it, it it's like one of those movies that if people were watching it and I was there I would watch it but I don't think I would necessarily choose to to watch it again on my own got it got it and I mean we are of course very biased and yes and and that should be should be acknowledged and we know that not a lot of people are going to agree with what Emily just said and what I will echo i too if i have to pick one over the other i'm going to pick national treasure for me a good part of it i'm not going to lie i don't like supernatural fiction 
very much. I mean, this is this is a silly comparison, but I was so excited a couple of years ago when the CW was doing a Nancy Drew show, and I was so excited to watch it, and it was so great. And then I watch it, and all of a sudden, the whole show is has a supernatural premise, and I was so disappointed right it was like this ruins nancy drew but i mean that just goes it's it's kind of justifying what i'm saying i don't like supernatural so by that rationale alone i feel like even if i wasn't a national treasure super fan i would still pick national treasure first Mm. um but we really do want to know what you all think do you prefer indiana jones to national treasure or vice versa tell us why we are we're really curious we want to hear from you on social media do you think that it's even fair to compare the two and pick one over the other? That's also an, an interesting point that, that we would love to hear your thoughts on. And, um, and is there anything we were missing today? That's, that's something else that we would love to be able to retweet your thoughts. So, Emily, where are they going to find us? Yeah, speaking of retweeting your thoughts, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NTHuntPodcast. You can find us to listen to for your beautiful little ears on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes. Go ahead, rate, review, like Aubrey said. Comment. Let us know your thoughts, guys. We're, you know, especially as the person who who watched Indiana Jones for the purposes of this particular episode, I really want to hear from people who, you know, watch Indiana Jones for fun. And I want to know, you know, what you guys think about it. Yeah. And while we wait for your thoughts on that, we will also remind you that we have a new episode coming your way in two weeks time, two weeks from the date of this episode's release. And that episode, Emily and I are both super stoked for. Okay, we've been doing a lot of comparing in season two of National Treasure Hunt. We've compared National Treasure and Book of Secrets. We've now compared National Treasure and Indiana Jones. Well, guess what, guys? Next time, we're going to be comparing the villains of National Treasure and Book of Secrets. We're talking more in-depth analysis and very strong opinions you can always count on that from us and we want you to come join us for that ride so definitely come back for that episode and i just want to say in the meantime i gotta give you a shout out emily i thought you rocked this episode really well done thank you thank you (laughs) absolutely gotta give credit where credit is due so until next time i'm aubrey and i'm emily And thank you so much for joining us on our National Treasure Hunt.